Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. I thought we had a good first and second half today. I do. That's a good I think that's a I think that's a good don't make it. I think that's a good football team. Uh, I know that's a, the, a extremely well coached football team. I I can't say enough good things. I can't say enough good things about Coach Tomlin. I mean, his resume speaks for himself. I, I that that's a really good team, and I think we played a pretty complete game, and we needed to today to to be able to, to close that out. We really wanted to emphasize how, how we start the second half. You know, we have had some second half woes. And we, we really traced it back to how we started second halves, and it was good to be able to go down and execute today um, to start things off, to set the tone um, that we, we needed to play a good, uh, a complete game. And I thought, I, thought we did that. I thought we did a good job of that today. Dad of the year, Nick Sirianni with his two kids up there. I didn't listen to much of what Nick was saying because the two kids are too damn cute, and it's fun to watch them interact like that. Kids being kids, that's what the world is all about, especially since it's Halloween, a holiday for kids. And I say that to all the grown-ups out there that feel compelled to dress up. It's a kid's holiday. Is it? Well, as far as I'm concerned, it is. All right. Uh, the Eagles feeling pretty good yesterday. The cross-Commonwealth rivalry with the Steelers, a team with which the Eagles were once joined during World War II to create the Steagles. The Steagles. 81st meeting in the history of that series and the Eagles have owned the Pittsburgh Steelers. They used to play twice a year back when the Steelers were awful. That's how they fattened up the record. The Steelers had been eight and five since the merger, now eight and six. Thirty five to thirteen, the Eagles win that game. And here's the hallmark of a great team. They never take their foot off the gas. They never put themselves in a position where they have to worry about losing to an inferior team. They kick the crap out of an inferior team. And I spoke to Jalen Hurts after the game. I haven't written this yet at PFT. But he was very humble, but he's starting to be willing to say what's going on with this team. They are taking on his personality through his leadership. He has seen the transition this year. That's what he told me. Where... Everything he believes, everything he says, everything he is, is manifesting itself with the guys on the team. He is the perfect leader of a football team, and his message is taking root and growing. Remember that that weird metaphor last year from Sirianni about flowers and plants and roots? Guess what? Ain't so weird now. It's working. I still think it's a little bit weird. I'm not going to lie. I'm sorry, Nick Sirianni. You know, with all due respect, that was still weird. Even if I do understand where it's coming from now, and it is 
everything's starting to bloom, right? This is one of those teams right now that they are an absolute juggernaut. And I think you're right. The best teams, when they have a team in a position to lose, they continue to crush them, right? That's exactly what the Eagles did yesterday. And I love watching them play right now because they are having so much fun and fundamentally football should be fun I just I love it when you see teams and they go out there and they know what they're doing and they know how to make themselves be the best team on the field right the the fact that Jalen Hurts knows how to throw it to A.J. Brown and A.J. Brown knows how to come down with it And, you know, we can flag A.J. Brown for taunting when he points at the defenders. But I'm sorry, if you catch three touchdowns like A.J. Brown caught three touchdowns in the first half, you deserve a freebie on a taunt. Like, they deserve to be taunted a little bit. If you don't want to be taunted, stop them. All he was doing was counting. There was just one, two. That's it. He was just making, those are just facts. It's straight up facts. I don't know. I think that maybe the more insulting thing was when he was like, oh, you're too small. You can't guard me. But yeah, I I, I love the way they're playing right now. I, I think it's awesome. Three touchdown catches all on go routes. There was some stat that was pushed by the NFL yesterday about that first time ever, I think. And he did it all in the first half. All three touchdowns on run down the field. And here comes the ball. On one of them, he was in double coverage. Hey. Double coverage. And, and uh, Jalen Hurts didn't hesitate and did all of I mean the help got over late Minka Fitzpatrick got over late but there was one where it was pure double coverage and Hertz told me he he saw that the the safety was a little flat-footed so he was willing to take the shot and see what happens and what see this is not to make this about the Packers and Aaron Rodgers this is what happens when you put in the time in the offseason with your receiver and you understand everything about him. He understands everything about you. All those routes. You say this against, every time. Run against air. All that time. All those yes. reps. That's an investment in the situations that will emerge when you get into the games. You have that unspoken communication. And, and, and it's magical when it happens. And it happens. But you don't just show up and have it happen. You've got to put in the time, know your guys. They have to know you. You have to be able to watch them run to know how that route is going to end. They have to to sense and know when the ball is going to be there. It's just something that only comes from reps, 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 reps. And there it is for Jalen Hurts and A.J. Brown. And, and it really is a thing of beauty. I mean, I look, I, I think that the Eagles are going to face real challenges in the postseason, the 49ers will give them everything they can handle. The Cowboys will give them everything they can handle if those are two of the teams they end up facing. The Buccaneers will give them everything they can handle. I continue to believe, and I'm not letting this go, the Buccaneers get in, they're going to be extremely dangerous because Tom Brady, on, fr- on Thursday night, excuse me, when they're down 11 and they cut to the close-up, he's still Tom Brady. He's still determined. He's unflappable. He's going to be a problem if he gets in. But... The Eagles clearly the best team in the conference, and, and I still say there's value in being unbeaten because whoever it is, they show up and they get it done, Miles. Well, look, there's value in being unbeaten, but then there's also value in getting that loss, right? Because if you stay unbeaten and you are approaching December and you're approaching January now at this point, the way the schedule works with 18 weeks, then – Every, what are we going to be talking about? Oh, my God, it's the 72 Dolphins. Oh, my God, are they as good as 72 Dolphins? Are they going to be as good as the 07 Patriots? Oh, yeah. So, you know, like I think that there is value in, okay, we have to face some adversity with an L, and now how are we going to respond to it? Because we're not going to necessarily have all of that stuff going on in the background. So the, the Eagles at some point are more than likely going to have a loss. How are they going to respond to it, right? Are they still going to be doing the electric slide in the end zone? I don't know. Maybe. I hope that they do because those are the kinds of things where you keep it loose, you keep it light, you keep it fun. That's how you can continue to be the team that you are. Two things. You came dangerously close to the old cliche that there's a such thing as a good loss. I don't know that there is. Secondly, you sounded I, like I think that there is. You sounded like I Michael Scott. More importantly, you sounded like Michael Scott mocking Dwight. Season one, episode five, basketball, when Dwight made the misfortune of making a Lord of the Rings reference and 
and Michael Scott mocked him. You sounded like that, the way that he was oh, mocked. Thanks. Anyway, um, I, I, I think that it's good to keep winning. I don't think they're going to go 17-0. and Although, when you look at their schedule, there aren't a lot of L's jumping off the page. I think the biggest challenge no. left is going to Dallas Christmas Eve, taking on the Cowboys. I think that's it. Um, and, and I'm not saying that they're going to win every other game but that one, but that's the one that really stands out. And they have shown Is that, that on our network? I hope it is. It's a Saturday, December 24th game. We have yeah. the Christmas night game uh, that I think is Cardinals Buccaneers, if I recall correctly. We have Tom Brady that? on Christmas Eve. We have a guy as old as Santa Claus on the night that Santa Claus is resting from going to everyone's house. All right, uh, the Cowboys, speaking of them, 49 points scored against the Chicago Bears. And the Cowboys kind of were trying to blow this one. They were trying to let the Bears back into it in this bizarre uniform combination that I didn't think was allowed with no one wearing white jerseys. Get off of our collective lawns. I just don't know what – I don't know what dispensation you get from 345 Park Avenue that it's – blue jerseys for the Cowboys, and the orange jerseys for the Bears. I don't mind how it looks because it sufficiently clashes that you know who's on what team. That's the whole purpose of it. You want to know who's on what team. So one team wears dark jersey, one team wears white jersey. But you can have two different colored jerseys, except when it's Bills, Jets, Color Rush, and colorblind people are trying to watch the game. That's a problem. Other than that, this is fine. I mean, I hate. It. I used to hate that color rush thing, man. I I couldn't stand that. But that so was a thing. I'm, I'm, the night, and I remember I, I Deadspin took the video and and showed what it looked like for a colorblind person. It was impossible to discern anything about the game. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, exactly. Yeah, get get off our collective lawns and bears. You know, the orange jerseys are fine, but get rid of those orange helmets, man. Those orange helmets and the orange jerseys too much. The uh the the one guy that I remember needed the white jersey, Vinny Testaverde, if you recall. He this did. happened yes, before you were born, but it did indeed occur. Uh, he, ha- he was colorblind, so they always mm-hmm. chose to wear the white jersey when he was in Tampa Bay. I assume that continued beyond uh, – didn't he play for the Browns at some point? He did, yeah. I think he, he played yeah. for every team at some point. He um, probably does. He did, play, he did play for the Browns. He's one of the uh, quarterbacks after uh, Bill Belichick decided to replace Bernie Kosar, which was a very controversial decision at the time. Yes, I recall that vividly. The Cowboys, 6-2. and two. Uh, I think Vinny Testaverde played for them at some point along the way as well. They scored touchdowns on their first four possessions for the first time since 2014. Dak Prescott had 250 passing yards, 34 rushing yards, two pass touchdowns, one rush touchdown. And how about Tony Pollard? Woo. Three TDs and 131 rushing yards for him. There's Dak with the walk-in score. Uh, and Dak, Dak is knocking the rust off. You know, at one point I thought the best thing to do is let him stay out until after the bye, have him ready to go for the Packers, but then that rust factor comes into play. So he's gotten to face the Lions and the Bears. The Cowboys are on this tour of the NFC North. They've got trips to Green Bay and Minnesota left over the next two games, but they have a bye in between. Pollard getting it done. Zeke out and you know again jerry jones i don't know why well, jerry jones has this fascination with ezekiel and maybe he's just trying to justify the guy's contract but they really don't need him they really don't not if tony paul is going to play like this well look i mean it, it, what were we talking about with christian mccaffrey running backs right they oh, get hurt right. yep so the, the more running backs that you have that you know you can turn to that you know can get it done the better off you're going to be but i mean what's interesting to me mike we keep seeing these huge stat lines from running backs this year. Like, are we receiving a resurgence of the running back? Everything in football is cyclical. But, I mean, you know, like 130 yards for Tony Pollard. You know, all these guys keep getting 100-plus, 120-plus. I think it's really cool to see the way that teams are running the ball because it allows you to control the game if you can really, really control um, what happens on the ground like that. So, yeah, I mean, look, the Cowboys are the Cowboys right now, and they're doing it. With their offense, they're also getting really good contributions from their defense. You get a defensive touchdown from Micah Parsons. That's obviously going to tilt the scales in your favor whenever you can get a score from the defensive end. And that was such a weird play. It was. With Justin Fields leaping over Micah Parsons and not touching him. That 
I, I and, and is this it? I think this is it. The ball's yes, it out. Is. Parsons has it. He's on the ground, and Justin Fields does the two-legged hurdle, and then off goes Michael Parsons. And, and again, I can't fault Justin Fields because he's got to protect himself in that spot. Right. I don't know what he Trying was supposed to, to do. Right. I think it's far better to have a healthy Justin Fields than it is to give up that seven points. But, uh, you know, heads-up play by Michael Parsons. And great job by the officials not blowing it dead in mm-hmm. that spot because that's not something you can review and say, oh, no, it wasn't dead. He scored a touchdown. So uh, that that was the dagger. There were several daggers. And the Cowboys, again, they, they, they let the Bears back into it a couple of times. Um, but uh, the Cowboys getting it done, getting the 6-2. and two. I knew it was going to be a tough spot for the Bears coming off of that that Monday night win over the Patriots. I feel like they just they, they went all in to win that game with the 11-day break after the Thursday night loss to the Commanders. And it's like, we'll worry about the Cowboys after this Patriots game. Our main focus is beating the Patriots, which was fine, but they didn't have enough left. Which is what you're left. supposed to do. They did, but they didn't have enough left to go to Dallas, and they lost by 20. Well, it was a big spread, and the Cowboys ended up covering it. Yeah, and look, I think Justin Fields has looked a little bit better in the last couple of weeks. I mean, the offense, they seem to be tailoring it a little bit more to what his skill set is. I mean, it obviously was not to that same extent that they had against New England Patriots on Monday night. But at the same time, you're starting to see a little bit more flashes of what Justin Fields can be. So I guess that's encouraging if you're a Bears fan. But yeah, it's still it's not like things are all sunshine and roses for Chicago right now. Yeah, and uh, another reason why the Vikings are are basically running away with that division. And look, going into the season, the NFC seemed to be wide open for playoff Mm -hmm. spots. But right now, you've got the Cowboys and the Giants trailing the Eagles. That's a couple of wild card spots that kind of feel – I mean, that scrum for the seventh playoff spot. And we talked about the Eagles – not the Eagles, the Seahawks and the 49ers – yeah. One of those two teams wins the division. The other one may be number seven or six. Or out. You know, I mean, yeah, or out or out of it. You could have. I, let's look at it this way. Between the second and third place teams in the NFC East. Yeah. The Packers and the second place team in the NFC West. One of those yeah. teams isn't getting in. One yeah. of those teams is going to be on the outside looking in and then the NFC South which is the new version of the NFC East with every team under 500 and one of these teams is going to win the division and host a playoff game they're going to have a guaranteed spot and obviously that's going to be the only path for Tom Brady and company is to win that division to overcome the Falcons we'll talk more about the Falcons Panthers game later which it really would have helped Tom Brady and company if that game had gone the other way but that's Brady's only path in so you could have both Brady and Rodgers out and we haven't even mentioned the Rams. We're just treating them like they're already out. But no, I mean, you c- coming into the season, coming into the season, NFC, the cream of the crop, for the Rams, the Bucks, and maybe the Packers. And there's a yeah. way that these dominoes fall, and it's not all that crazy eight weeks in that none mm-hmm. of them make the postseason. Yeah, well, I think you said all those teams are under 500 in the NFC South. I mean, the Falcons are at 500 at least. That's so, true. That's true. You know. You're right. That's right. Yeah. I don't mean so, to defame uh, the NFC South. The Falcons made it to 500. <laughs> yes, they did make it to 500. So congratulations for that. You know, you're you're not under the Mendoza line, if that's what we want to call it. Anyway, uh, yeah, I, I, I feel like right now, you know, if you're looking at these teams and you want to say, okay, which is going to be able to make it, yeah, it, it's – it's one of these weird situations where, I mean, don't count out the Washington commanders either. You know, they came back and they're four and four right now. So it could be in theory, all four teams perhaps from the NFC East might make it into the postseason. How about that? I, I have been musing about that possibility ever since they expanded the postseason field to seven teams per conference. I thought the NFC West would be the team to maybe do it. Wouldn't it be something if two years after the NFC East was so bad, we were talking about removing the guaranteed home game for the champion of the division and Washington hosted Tampa Bay, if all four teams would have a realistic shot at getting in. By the way, you mentioned the Mendoza line. That is a baseball reference with which I'm familiar. The career batting average of former Pirates infielder Mario Mendoza, 200. 
That's the Mendoza line. I know. I, and there was a time in the life cycle of PFT, which turns 21 tomorrow. We have outlived the return of the locust by four years. We had a feature called the Cordoza line because before quarterbacks actually got good, the, to me, the defining between like okay and crap was the career passer rating of Cordell Stewart of 70.7. That was the Cordoza line. And there used to actually be starting quarterbacks on the wrong side of it. Doesn't happen very much anymore. Maybe there's one or two at any given moment, but it doesn't happen like it did 15 years ago, which is just a testament to the improvement in quarterback play. Improvement in quarterback play in Minnesota has been one of the -the under-the-radar developments this year as the Vikings get themselves to 6-1. And And how about Cordell Stewart yesterday? That was not Cordell Stewart. Kirk Cousins, (laughs) the modern-day Cordell Stewart, at least the way he was running the football. (laughs) I'm still thinking about the Cordoza line. The run by Kirk Cousins was an optical (laughs) illusion to me because it starts off kind of looking like slow-motion Tom Brady, although it's not slow-motion, like lumbering. And then Kirk Cousins turns the corner, and he's just gone. I, I've never seen anything like it. I think there's no <laughs> way this guy – I mean, I'm just thinking, is he going to maybe get the first down? And he keeps going all the way into the end zone. That was the first touchdown of the game by the Vikings, and it was typical Vikings 2022, back and forth, trail in the second half, find a way. Here he is on third and four. From the 17, I'm thinking he's, he's, no, he's not even going to make it to the line of scrimmage. He's not going to get the first down. And there he is, bursting into the end zone. Kirk Cousins with a rushing touchdown for the Minnesota Vikings. And uh, he, he, he had a decent day, 232 passing yards, a couple of touchdowns. Dalvin Cook had 111 rushing yards. Alexander Madison shipping in, nice little change of pace. Again, I mentioned earlier they're playing Buffalo soon. Maybe go heavy with those two guys. But – the Vikings just kind of checked the boxes and they get it done. They contained Kyler Murray, sacked him multiple times. Darius Smith had three sacks, and and they weathered the storm. They just every game they weather the storm. The team comes back, the team takes the lead, and the Vikings just find a way. And at a certain point, it's no longer a fluke. It's just kind of who you are. You find a way in the fourth quarter to win football games. Right, yes. I, I like the way you put that, weathering the storm, because they were able to do that, right? And that's something that you have to be able to do. Um, and I just, I like the way the Vikings fought back at basically every turn. And then right there, you see the five-yard touchdown to Osborne that, that basically seals that game right there. So, I mean, I like the way they're playing. I love how they fight back. I love how you get Justin Jefferson involved you know, and you make him be one of these really great receivers that can line up from anywhere. And it makes him such a matchup nightmare. Oh, I love the ways Darius Smith played yesterday. You mentioned the three sacks. He was really controlling the game, went out with an injury and then came back in there as well. So the Vikings have a lot of stuff going for them right now. And when you are able to stack these wins, like they have early on in the season, it makes everything else easier for you because you are already in position to win your division. Right. And they they don't have to worry about the, oh my gosh, when are they going to lose a game talk either? They can just continue to do what they do and do it well. And when you're gashing teams in the run like they are, I mean, you, I mean, you talked about it with Dalvin Cook and the way Madison was running. It's almost like, well, why are you passing so much, man? I mean, it, when you pass, there are three things that can happen and two of them are bad. So I love how they can lean on Cook and Madison to do what they need to do to win games. The thing to remember, though, upcoming schedule. Look, they have to go to Washington. Commanders have been looking pretty good lately, and maybe they'll actually have a decent home crowd this weekend. Unlikely, but who knows? Who knows? Commanders fever. Catch it. Then it's the Cowboys coming to Minnesota. Then it's short week game against the New England Patriots. So they have some they have some oh. some tests coming up. The Patriots are not going to be easy on Thanksgiving night. No, I, I don't I don't uh, wow. Thanksgiving just, is that soon. My gosh. Yeah, it's 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 coming. It's coming. Um am I missing a game in there? I don't think I am. I don't think so. I they've don't got think so. the commanders, no, it's, it's... they've got the Cowboys. I don't know. Maybe I am missing a week. Maybe there's one more in there. Oh, the Bills. The Bills. The Bills. I have forgotten. The, you said the that's, Bills. That's, that's another reason. Exhibit A for 
winter is coming for the Minnesota Vikings in more ways than one is that the Bills are looming after the Commanders. So a couple of road games and a couple of home games, and we'll see if the Vikings can keep it going. There was a thought that I had at one point. Oh, Zadarius Smith. I spoke to him after the game as well on what they did to stop Kyler Murray. And there's a concept out there called the cage rush, and that's what they used, mm-hmm. where you you maintain the integrity of your lanes, almost like you know a kick coverage team or a punt coverage team. And instead of just trying to get to the quarterback as fast as you can and opening up these gaps where he can just disappear, it's a more methodical closing of the cage, and then it just collapses. And the other benefit of it as well is that he can't see. If you maintain your spot in front of him, you know he can't see. So it's all about keeping him in the pocket, not giving him an avenue out of the pocket, not giving him an opening where he can slip through a crack and run for 30 yards. And that was the first thing Zadarius Smith did. He praised all the other guys for executing the plan. They worked on it all week long. He was the beneficiary with the three sacks. You know how sacks go. There's an element of randomness when it comes to actually being the one to get the quarterback down. It is that swarming that you see that that makes it happen. And they swarmed in a very controlled way. And that was their plan for for slowing down Kyler And we've seen other teams do that. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. You still have to execute the plan. But that's the right. that for a short, fast quarterback, that's the only way to do it. It is the only way to do it. I mean, back in the day when it's my second Rams reference, but indulge me, uh, when I was covering the Rams and you know, they were going up against Russell Wilson every year, two times a year, that's the thing exactly it that they would talk about. Keeping your rush integrity, making sure that you contain all those lanes because that's how you can get in there and collapse the pocket, bring him down and make sure that he's not making those special plays where he gets outside the pocket and then he can see and then he can either use his legs to run or he can you know, target whatever really good receiver he has in Kyler Murray's case, DeAndre Hopkins, and just get him the ball, right? He, if he can't see and you are preventing those rush lanes from being utilized, then that's exactly what's going to happen. And that's why you're going to get Kyler Murray down. And that's how you're going to get those sacks. So I, I love hearing that from Zadarius Smith. And I did really like the way that they executed that yesterday. DeAndre Hopkins, by the way, had a very big game for the Arizona Cardinals. 12 catches, 159 yards, and a touchdown. Like through the first half, he had five catches on five targets. He had a great touchdown catch. He, he's played extremely well, but again, do they have enough around him? And, and they could have won this game. It, it comes back to what I said. The Vikings just find a way late. The Cardinals could have won this game. They fought back from down 14-3. Talking to Zedaria Smith, I got the impression that that the Vikings believed once the Cardinals were down 14-3, they would just give up based upon what they heard from Patrick Peterson and Jordan Hicks, a couple of former Cardinals mm. who were very motivated to win the game. There's video yeah. of Patrick Peterson down on the field saying, I want to talk to Steve Kime. I want to talk to him face-to-face. He's running from me. So there, there's some hostility there between especially Peterson and the Cardinals organization. We saw some of that yesterday. Let's go ahead and take a break. Superlatives time. For week eight, when this Monday edition of PFT Live, presented by Google Pixel, continues right after this. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. You were able to establish your name in this league before ever coming and becoming a Buffalo Bill. But how has pairing with Josh Allen enhanced your journey in this? It's different. It's just like before I got here, I was like, okay, pretty good receiver, you know, exceptional, I guess. And when I got here, you see what it happens when you got that quarterback receiver, like that little like moxie, that little energy. And I just got the best quarterback in the league. Uh, Frankly, I feel like. He does a great job at everything. He runs well. He makes good decisions. Uh, he gives you that. He gives you that energy that you can win a game. And from a quarterback, you gotta love that. 
It was not a coincidence that Stephon Diggs began tweeting his way out of Minnesota the same day the Vikings extended Kirk Cousins' contract a couple of years ago. Not a coincidence at all. You can see the rest of the Diggs interview, plus all of Sunday Night Football Final on Peacock through 7 p.m. Eastern on Monday. So uh, you can go trick-or-treat and maybe catch the tail end of it if you haven't finished it. You got until 7 Eastern tonight. Uh, all right, Miles, it's superlatives time. Week eight, you're up first, as always. All right, let's go. My first one is Dennis Allen's revenge, and that's because the Saints defeated the Raiders 24 to nothing yesterday. Dennis Allen, of course, was the Oakland Raiders head coach from 2012 to 2014, got fired in season, and then this was the first shutout loss that the Raiders had since 2014. Dennis Allen had already been fired by that point, but they lost 52 to nothing to the then St. Louis Rams on a day where Trey Mason, of all people, went way, way off. And look, Alvin Kamara, he went off yesterday, had a few touchdowns. He hadn't had a touchdown all season, and then he got into the end zone. But it was really the Saints defense that just made things difficult for Derek Carr and company all day long. Derek Carr threw for 101 yards. Hunter Renfro, one catch, six yards. Devontae Adams, one catch for only three yards. The Raiders didn't even run a play in New Orleans territory until there was two minutes left in the game and Jarrett Stidham was in at QB because they'd waved the white flag. Way to go, Dennis Allen and the New Orleans Saints. That was amazing to me. One of the most stunning outcomes of the week because I bought the idea that the Raiders got through five tough games to start the season, had their bye week, came out and kind of systematically, methodically took apart a Texans team that they should have. And I thought they would go in and face a Saints team that felt like they were on the ropes. And if they were on the ropes, they pushed themselves off and knocked out the Raiders. And, you know, now people are starting to say, and, and I'm getting, now that the Broncos have, you know, won a game, the, the pro Bronco pro, Nathaniel Hackett crowd is is feeling their oats a little bit. And they're like, well, why aren't people calling for Josh McDaniels to be fired? It's like, first of all, nobody was calling for Nathaniel Hackett to be fired. We were pointing out the fact that Nathaniel Hackett wasn't hired by the people who now own the team. And these people are titans of industry. They are ruthless in a good way and a bad way combined. They're ruthless in that exact definition of the term. They're not going to mess around. Right. Mark Davis hired Josh McDaniels. And I saw that Paul Gutierrez of ESPN pointed out that it was another long meeting for Mark Davis and Josh McDaniels in the coach's office after the game. Fine, but Mark Davis hired Josh McDaniels. He's not going to fire Josh McDaniels. Definitely not during the season and probably not after a season. Unless Mark Davis would say, hey, can we bring back Mike Mayock and Rich Passaccia? I don't know. know, Some would say maybe he should have just kept those guys in place in the first place, but it's it's a different vibe, but but so far, Miles, it's a work in progress that isn't working. Yes, it, it absolutely is not working, and it's really bad. I mean, look, if you have Devontae Adams with one catch for three yards, that's a systemic failure. I don't understand how that happens. I, I really don't. I, I mean, you know, and like I said, I don't, I don't want to take anything away from what the Saints did defensively because obviously they were very good, but you can't have an offense, even without Darren Waller, that has one catch for six yards for Hunter Renfro after the money you paid him and one catch for three yards for Devontae Adams after the money you paid to him and Derek Carr with 101 passing yards after the money you paid to him, right? That the, All of those things are very unacceptable, and it's why Josh uh, McDaniels is apologizing to Raider Nation that the podium after the game and here's the thing to remember if it does continue to go sideways and the stuff hits the fan it's probably not going to be mcdaniels that's gone it's going to be Carr that's gone and remember yeah oh big contract 40 million dollars a year they have an out right after the super bowl Mm -hmm. now it's considered bad form when you have guarantees that vest in the days right after the super bowl the unspoken message supposedly is you're not going to cut the guy. That's just a device for managing the funding rule and all that crap. We, we really, we really going to keep you. We'll see. We'll see. They have an out right after the Super Bowl if they want to move on from Derek Carr. And uh, the way Derek Carr played yesterday, there may be somebody else out there that Josh McDaniels has in mind for 2023. We'll see. My first one, Tyreek's wish 
comes true. And this is my theory on what happened with Tyreek Hill last year in Kansas City. Because he had career-high targets, career-high catches. But he wasn't happy with the number of times the ball was coming his way. I think Tyreek Hill saw what Cooper Cup was doing last year and said, if he can do it, I can do it. I can do it even better than Cooper Cup. And guess what? Through eight games this year, he's on pace to do it better than Cooper Cup. He's on pace for 2,042 receiving yards, which would make him the all-time leader. The first guy to have 2,000. 1964 is the record. Cup came within 17 yards of it last year. Calvin Johnson said it a decade ago. And you watch the Dolphins game. Tyreek Hill, Tyreek Hill. If he stays healthy, he, he's got a pretty good chance of breaking that record and getting to 2,000. I think that's what happened in Kansas City at the end of the day. Part of it, too, was this is all Patrick Mahomes and I'm never going to be the guy. And I think he kind of wants to be the guy. But I think he also wants to be Cooper Cup. And he wants to show he can be better than Cooper Cup. And from a production standpoint this year, Miles, he is. Yeah, he certainly is. And look, I mean, when you're doing the things that he's doing and you are the type of target that he is, I mean, I I understand why that's something that you want. And at least Miami is winning games right now. Uh, So second one from me, let's call it the Lean On Me Award. And this one goes to Derrick Henry, who rushed for 219 yards in that win over the Texans. I saw um, Malik Willis, who made his first NFL start yesterday. He said after the game, why would we throw it when we can run it with Derrick Henry and nobody can stop him? And I think that's a damn good question because that's why he was only throwing for 10 times. He threw 10 times. That's crazy in an NFL game and they got the win and he got his first victory. And I give a lot of credit to Mike Vrabel who is able, when your quarterback goes out with an illness, you say, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? A lot of teams would not adjust the way that the Tennessee Titans did. Give that ball to Derrick Henry, lean on that guy and make sure that you come away with the win. Titans are five and two right now, Mike. Yeah. And they just kind of quietly, methodically. Stack them up. Stack them up, baby. Nobody's paying attention, although we're all going to be paying attention on Sunday night. Titans, Chiefs, both teams, five and two, I think. Yes, five and two. Mm -hmm. I hate this time of year because some teams have had a bye. Some teams haven't. Some teams have played eight. Some teams have played seven. The Chiefs are on their bye right now. The Titans have had their bye, both teams, five and two. Before we say goodbye to the superlatives, I have to do this. And, look, I'm getting, like, lobbied by people for different superlatives. A.J. Brown, our friend Mary in Atlanta, wants us to mention A.J. Brown because she's a big Eagles fan. We already talked about the Eagles. We've already talked about the Vikings, but we haven't talked about this. Jared Allen entering the ring of honor. This is the Viking is a Cowboy Award. Riding his horse out onto the field for the ring of honor induction. That is something. And by the way, that's an artificial turf field. And uh, I asked Darius Smith about that. First of all, he said, I've got a couple of horses in Florida, so the next time I'm down there, I'm going to get on the horse and get a cowboy hat and recreate that moment. And I also said, you know, there's a chance that horse is going to leave some things behind on the field. And Zadarius said, yes, I smelled it in the third quarter. <laughs> so, um, but what an awesome, like my, my son texted me, J- Jared Allen is riding a horse. It's like, what are you talking about? And Jared Allen riding a horse. Great photos, great images, great day for Jared Allen. Congrats to him. Let's take a break. When we return, the New York football Jets and Giants have their winning streak come to a crashing end. We'll talk about that when PFT Live, presented by Google Pixel, continues right after this. When you think about Mac handling the pressure that he was under today, is it... Are you as impressed like with the toughness, physically speaking, or is it more like the decision-making that he's doing in those situations? Oh, decisions for sure, yeah. Decisions for sure. Max tough. There's never any doubt about that. Max tough kid. Uh, But I thought he made good decisions, managed the game well, managed our team well. Um, And that's what a quarterback's job to do is to help the team win. That's what he did. Oh, it's a fine line between post-victory Bill Belichick and post-defeat Bill Belichick. Remember, there was that meme at one point of, all the moods of Bill Belichick, and it was the same photo. It's pretty much him. <laughs> Patriots get the win, improved to 4-4, four and four, 13th straight victory over the Jets, and along the way, Bill Belichick passes George Hallis for second all-time on the NFL's awesome. career coaching victory 
list. The AFC East, the only division in football that has no team with a losing record. Now the Patriots get themselves back to 500. And I, wait, I, what about the NFC East? Aren't the Commanders 4-4? Four and four? Am I crazy? Uh, with without a team, I, maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. I'm just reading what's on the sheet, but you're right. You're right. Yeah. We got to go with what's Sorry. on the sheet. Sometimes we've gotten the Sorry. apology from the control room. The NFC East and the AFC East. So the AFC East is the only division in the AFC which does not have a team with a losing record. So thank you okay. for that. Um, the the uh, look the, the the Patriots continue to be the Patriots and write them off at your own peril. They're going to be a factor. They're going to win games. They're going to lose games, but they're going to win games. The question is, will they lose by 30 again if they cross path with the Bills in the postseason, like last year? We, we forget that they ended up being pretty damn good last year because of what happened in that playoff game. The Patriots figured it out. They get better as the season progresses. That's part of the, the cycle of Bill Belichick. The more he learns about his team, the more he learns about all the other teams, the better he gets, and he had a lot to learn about the Jets, and they made Zach Wilson look ordinary. And, look, this is going to be mm-hmm. like one of the narratives that emerges from the week. All these second-year quarterbacks, is there going to be any of them that truly becomes a franchise guy? Justin Fields right now is the closest thing to it. <sighs> is he? I, I mean, like, if that's, if that's the case, man, we're, we're not in a good spot. You know, is Justin Fields the closest thing? I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't, I wouldn't feel, I don't, Davis Mills. I mean, really? I, I, yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't know, but you're right. I mean, they made Zach Wilson look ordinary. And I think part of it too, is they're playing their first game without Brees Hall. And when you're doing that, like that, and the guy had paced the offense as he did, that's going to have a negative effect on you no matter what. But I mean, when Zach Wilson is airmailing guys like this, That can't happen. I mean, so many throws, he just threw off his back foot. Look at what he's doing right here. He said after the game, he's trying to throw this thing away. Well, then throw the damn ball away, sir. You you can't leave that ball in the field of play because these are the kinds of things that are going to happen. You're just making reckless mistakes that you cannot make as a starting quarterback in the NFL if you're going to be successful. And, you know, at at a certain point, if he keeps playing like this, then the question's going to become, well, do you turn to Mike White at, at at any point? Because they did elevate him to be the backup quarterback over Joe Flacco yesterday. I'm not really sure why they promote, or they, excuse me, they elevated Chris Strebler from the practice squad for him just to be inactive. But Zach Wilson was not good enough yesterday. And he was one of the primary reasons that the Jets lost that game. And when Zach Wilson was entering the draft, Chris Sims made the comparisons as it relates to the combination of mobility and throwing skills to the likes of Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers because you have the mobility. But the thing is, you have the mobility to extend the play. But if you extend the play and you turn it into a mess, it's better to not have the mobility to extend the play. And there was a quote that I saw from Zach Wilson yesterday saying it gets frustrating to him when he's able to extend the play and he still can't make anything happen. So then he makes a bad throw. He's got to learn how to to just run out of bounds, throw the ball away, do something. I know it's not – exciting but it's far better than turning the ball over and starting a snowball that just gets out of control and you just can't get anything done and yeah you do have to start worrying about Mike White or Joe Flacco or someone else if it just doesn't work and 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 I hey you don't get five years anymore like Terry Bradshaw did I don't know how much time you get to have the light come on at the quarterback position but four years You've got maybe four. You get three. That's what Tyree Kill said before the three, season three about to four. You, you, about three to uh, four. That's Tua Vailoa. The way the NFL is, if you're a first-round draft pick quarterback, you get three years. Year three, if you don't get it done year three, I'm trying very hard not to show the middle finger here. If you don't get it done by year three, accidentally, uh, or on purpose. But if, if you don't get it done by year three, you're just done. And then, and then, and this is the Geno Smith dynamic. And this is one of the, I don't want to, stray into one of my crusades here. This is one of the reasons why I'm a firm believer in great quarterbacks being willing to push back against the draft process. You get stuck with a bad team. Mike, it's it's still October. I know, but you get stuck with a bad team and and that's it. You're done. Like where's your next stop if you wash out? If you're Zach Wilson, if you're Trevor Lawrence, if you're Justin Fields, if you're Trey Lance. The Carolina Where's, Panthers. Well, 
True. That's true. And you can all be on the team at the, team at the same time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but yeah, playing it, behind a former things. XFL quarterback. Right. Yes, exactly. So, I mean, look, you, you have to, if you're Zach Wilson, just kind of try to change that mentality in your head of, because that quote stood out to me too, that you pointed out that, you know, it gets frustrating when I get out of the, I get out of the pocket and I make a play and there's not a play to be made. Well, like, dude, that's football. That, that's the NFL. And you got to live to see another day. And so if you're not doing that, then you're allowing your team to lose games. And if you are the reason that your team loses games as a quarterback, you're not going to be playing quarterback for very long. So, you're, I mean, you get three years to show if you have something, right? Because then after that, they got to make the decision on the fifth-year option. So you look at Daniel Jones, who we're about to talk about. You know, if you go into it and then you don't show enough, then you're not going to get your fifth-year option picked up. But then you still might play. So if you are good in that fourth year, you can, you know, maybe change that dynamic and change the narrative. So there's a lot going on there, you know, when it comes to quarterbacks and not being able to have the time and all these different things to mature, you got to show progress quickly because of the way the contracts work. It's just the way the NFL is set up. Let's see and hear from Jets head coach Robert Sala regarding his second year quarterback, Zach Wilson's performance on Sunday. Well, he always has to play better. There's the the point is as soon as you step on the field, you have to play better. Yeah, but um, you know, there's, there's uh, yeah, he, he's got to play better. We got we, we got to find ways to help him. He's got to play better. Yes, that's a given. The question is, if they're helping him and he doesn't play better, that's when the clock starts ticking on maybe the end mm-hmm. of the road for Zach Wilson with the Jets. Mac Jones had to play better. He was Ooh. the starter. All of that talk this week about who's going to start the game and everything's a hypothetical. That's Bill Belichick's new, new, uh, you know, there's a snake in my boots. It's hypothetical day to day. We're on to Cincinnati. It's all hypothetical. Mac Jones had a very actual and real pick six that was called back. Thanks to a roughing the passer penalty. And this is a time when, okay, the jets leading by seven points getting uh, late in the, in the half. And there it goes. That would have been 17, three going into the break. What a different vibe it would have been for the day for both teams. But the flag was on the ground, and let's have a look at the hit on Mac Jones. I'm okay with this. Look, I'm at the point where I don't know what roughing is or isn't, and I'm expecting a flag every time a quarterback gets hit. But this, you know, you got the multiple steps and hitting the guy from behind. He didn't put his helmet into his back like we saw on Monday night when the Patriots did Justin Fields, but it was enough to wipe out the pick six and save the day for the New England Patriots. Very different outcome to that game if that flag isn't thrown. There was also a questionable call earlier when Mac Jones was running the ball. He was clearly a runner. He took Mm -hmm. a forearm to the helmet, and there was a flag for unnecessary roughness. If that was a running back, there's no way that ever gets called. And and I think the NFL's position is – that he was in the process of going to the ground to give himself up, even though he wasn't sliding in the traditional way. If you're Mm -hmm. in the process of going to the ground at all, you get some sort of protection. And he took the blow to the head and he got the 15 yard penalty. And then not long after that, he was at the sideline and I could tell he was, he deliberately slowed down to take a hit, trying to draw another free 15 yards. Well, I mean, you know, if they're going to give him 15 yards, then, you know, you play within the rules, then you're maybe on the margins a little bit. You surprised that a Patriots player is doing that? Kind of not. But, you know, these kinds of things happen. And it's, it's one of those issues where, like, he's right there and he tries to slow up to get that penalty. But, like, you're still on the field of play, dude. And you have to be able to either protect yourself and get yourself out of bounds or don't and live with the consequences and fortunately he popped back up right so that's a good thing but yeah if you're gonna slow up like that then you gotta live with the consequences of getting hit that's a new twist to the concept that we've seen in recent years of the quarterback going toward the sidelines slowing up and then when the defender pulls up shooting down for another five or seven or ten yards this is the deliberate slow up take the hit and try to get the free 15 it didn't work though for mac jones but it did work earlier when he wasn't trying to just absorb right. the hit he did, and he shouldn't have, have gotten that 15 yards. Seahawks, Giants. The only game in Week 8 involving two teams with winning records. And uh, a little revenge for Geno Smith. We'll hear from him in a minute. But the Seahawks, three straight wins, five and three. First place 
in the division. They knocked the Giants down to 6-2, and two, ending their four-game winning streak. And look, the Seahawks are the classic team that is going to get better before our eyes. They're getting better they because are. these players are learning how to win together. Guys like Ken Walker III keep developing. Geno Smith proving why they were very comfortable in letting Russell Wilson go and embracing him. Defense getting better. And it's just, it's the ultimate Pete Carroll, glass half full, one win at a time. His message is perfect. And I think what happens is after six or seven years, it gets stale, but he has enough guys in there who haven't been hearing it repeatedly for half a decade or longer right. that they, they embrace it and they live it and it's working. Yeah, basically that a lot of those guys that were in that last generation of the great greats, you know, where they kept winning with Russell Wilson, most of those players are all gone. I mean, you still have Tyler Lockett, but other than that, your big leaders, you know, your, your KJ Wrights of the world, your Bobby Wagners of the world, Russell Wilson, all those guys are gone. So now you have this new generation of leadership where it's Geno Smith, it's Lockett, it's DK Metcalf. It's those guys that are all bringing each other together and they're really, really embracing what Pete Carroll is giving them. And so when you see Geno Smith play as he does, when you're seeing guys get that confidence, I, th this is something that's really, really fun to watch. I, I love the way Geno Smith is playing. I love to see him going back to Tyler Lockett after Lockett had dropped that pass earlier on in the game. I mean, you even got Pete Carroll getting a sideline violation because he's running onto the field, basically, as Geno Smith is kind of running for a first down to seal the game, and he runs into an official. Like, they, they it feels good when you watch the Seattle Seahawks because – they're enjoying each other and they're enjoying each other's company and they're enjoying winning together as a team. And it's caused all observers to become sufficiently discombobulated that even referee Jerome Berger called them the Seattle Mariners during a <laughs> call yesterday. Here's Geno Smith calling out his former team, the Giants. Remember, that was one of his various stops. He was the guy that played when Eli Manning was benched. For that one yeah. game before the outcry put Eli back on the field. Here's Gino talking about beating the New York Giants. I'm happy to be here in Seattle. Uh, I spent one year with the Giants. And so uh, that year to me was like a blur. And, uh, you know, my life has moved on from then. Uh, I don't have any remorse towards anyone there. Uh, in fact, you know, this to me, this game was for Ben McAdoo and Jerry Reese. They believed in me. And so as far as, you know, any other thing, I don't really care for it. Yeah, see, look, there, there were people in that organization who who wanted to turn the page from Eli Manning to Geno Smith. But you get a mm -hmm. lot of non-football stuff that goes into it. Eli Manning's two Super Bowl wins, the connection between him and the organization, the influence of John Mara, one of the most low-key meddling owners in the NFL, who finds a way to pull the strings without leaving his fingerprints on the strings and it's always somebody else making those calls it's never him but but th th this is a microcosm of that broader reality where even if you're the coach or the gm you still answer to the guy who signs the paychecks and john mara makes his preferences known often now things are going well for the giants now but i mean we can't ignore the reality of what was in the past and that's one of the issues from the past and um hey look the whole league has missed out on what geno smith could become because after all this time, he's finally becoming the guy that maybe we thought he was going to be when he came out of West Virginia nine years ago. Yeah, and like I said, it's so fun to watch, and it's so fun to see him appreciate everything that's coming as he does. And, you know, I think when you have a guy who is a veteran and can provide some veteran leadership for a younger team that is still in its own way learning how to win. I mean, Pete Carroll knows how to win, but all those guys don't. You know, you got a lot of young guys that have not had that kind of experience, that kind of success. So, I mean, I know they won the division in 2020, but it, that last year was just not what we're used to seeing from the Seattle Seahawks. So now you get this really, really good rookie class that comes in and maybe they don't know what they don't know. Right. You know, they don't know that they're not supposed to be good. Kind of like we were talking about with the Cincinnati Bengals last year. So maybe this is one of those teams that can catch fire and you know, that matchup with the San Francisco 49ers on Thursday night in December, that's going to be a big one. And I know that's looking ahead a long way, but if the Seattle Seahawks keep playing like they do, and then you get the San Francisco 49ers playing up to their potential, like that, that's going to be a really, really big clash there. 
We've mentioned the NFC South a couple of times today. One of those four teams will win it. One of them will host a playoff game. Two of them got together yesterday to give us one of the most thrilling games of the year. We'll talk Panthers-Falcons when PFT Live continues right after this. Forty-one will be the number here. Snap spot. Here's Coop for the win. Kick is away and drive home safely. Young Way Coop from forty-one yards wins the ball game. That was the final act, but oh my gosh, the stuff that happened preceding it. The game was essentially over. The Panthers had the ball down three, fourth down. They didn't get it. The Falcons get a field goal to go up 34-28. But, boy, that's when it got crazy because P.J. Walker uncorked an incredible throw. Patrick Mahomes tweeted it was the best throw of the year by far. D.J. Moore makes the catch. Here it is, 23 seconds left, down six, and Walker lets it fly. DJ Moore separates from a couple of defensive backs, and there it is. But, but, uh-oh. Uh-oh. Do not take off your helmet, because if you do, there's a chance they will flag you. Now, they should flag you every time, and if they did flag this every time, you know what? Probably a good chance DJ Moore knows to not do it. There's so much inconsistency when it comes to this specific rule. I heard from some Mm -hmm. folks last night who were complaining, folks within the league complaining that it's not consistently called and that's one of the big beefs with officiating right now there isn't consistency it was called there and what it did it gave the falcons the option to attach the 15 to the try or the kickoff they attached it to the try and eddie pinheiro missed the 48 yard extra point attempt allowing the game to go to overtime and then pinheiro missed a field goal a shorter one closer to an extra point in overtime and on the broadcast 32. they were saying uh, on the broadcast they were saying well that takes that takes uh, DJ Moore off the hook no it doesn't because you wouldn't have even been in a position where Pinheiro misses the field goal in overtime if you don't take your helmet off and he can just make the extra point check the box and the Panthers go home victorious there's the interception that set up the the overtime field goal Jason Garrett was saying they just should have kicked it on first down. Those three plays, you're basically icing your kicker by doing the three plays before you kick the field goal. If you're not going to try yeah. to score the touchdown, just kick the field goal on first down, Miles. I don't know. Hey, kicker, make your kick. It's a 32-yard field goal. You're a professional. Make your kick. I, I, I'm sorry. I can't jive with that. Make your make your damn kick, dude. You have one job. And look, like 48 is a makeable field goal. That, that's something that we need to be able to do. And I know that you can't have the penalty, and I'm not trying to absolve DJ more of that, but you're a professional kicker. You got to make it from 48 when the game's on the line. That's your job. So, well, hey, kicker, make your kicks. I'm it's sorry. not going to be a job for very long. And Exactly. And I, when I was a kid, please don't play the piano music unless you have a spooky oh, version no, for dude. Halloween. 40-yard yeah, field goal was a long field goal. And, and, yeah, but it's 2022. There was a period of time maybe 30 years ago when somebody would try a kick between 45 and 50 toward the end of a game where it's flip a coin maybe. Yeah, you're right. 48 has become essentially automatic, as automatic as 38 was 50 right. years ago. Yes. You got to make that and kick. And 32 is certainly automatic. Th- okay, 30, I mean, yeah. that, that's – or 33, if we're going by what the broadcast said, I think, on there. But, like, that's not – it's not acceptable. And I, I understand, you know, we can get on DJ Moore whatever, and he shouldn't have done it. As you pointed out on the text chain yesterday, it's shades of Dwayne Rudd in 2002 in a game that I still have PTSD from for the Browns versus Kansas City. But, I, like I said, you get a 48-yard attempt, make it. Okay? No. All right, let's redeem ourselves in overtime. 33, make the damn kick. Make but, the kick. But, I, I No. Let's hear from Steve Wilkes on the DJ Moore penalty because, again, I think that he makes the kick if DJ Moore doesn't remove his helmet. Let's hear from Wilkes. We got to make sure that we're smart enough, something to learn from. Uh, celebration penalty, big play like that. Uh, we got to keep our poise. DJ is, is smart enough to understand that uh, that's something to learn from. Um, very talented player. Glad he's on our team. Uh, but, you know, we're, moving forward, that's something that we'll learn from and won't make that same mistake. You know, the rule's been in place for like 30 years. And 
it's another example of this. We want guys to immediately flip the toggle back to robot after right. you do something very emotional, very uplifting. Back to robot. Immediately. Yeah. Back to robot. And I don't know where the line is. Removing the helmet and throwing it. I don't know. Um, but it's the catch of his life. What do we expect him to do? Yeah. You know? So, yeah. And and I I like the way that Steve Wilkes responded to that. I think he's going to be good enough to keep those guys together with the Panthers. He seems to be so far. I mean, look at the way that they're playing that they are really, really leaving it all there out on the field. So I give credit to Steve Wilkes for that. All right, let's take a break. We actually, at the suggestion of miles, which is a good suggestion, I'm not criticizing it. We have suspended for this week the Sunday Statement Draft. We'll do that tomorrow because we want to talk a little bit about a Denver team that flew all the way to London to get a much-needed win that may have saved the job of Nathaniel Hackett. We'll do that when PFT Live continues right after this. First quarter, that was a hot start. I mean, we we come out and we go three and out. We throw a pick on the second play. Uh, Again, that comes to that pressing. People wanting to make things happen instead of operating and, and not trying to do too much. And you know, talked with Russell, told him to take a breath, breathe, uh, do what he does. And I think that as we kind of came into what we wanted to do in this game, after we saw the adjustments that Jacksonville had made, we were able to get some efficient plays for him. And that's how he started feeling in that groove because it's a long football game. And, and with a great defense like we have, you're always going to be in that game. And I think he knows that. Nathaniel Hackett on his mindset, his process, his strategy for getting Russell Wilson to settle down. They had a three and out to start the game against the Jaguars in London. First pass of the game should have been picked off by the Jaguars. Then uh, on the next drive, interception thrown by Russell Wilson. Take a breath, settle down, calm down, and he did. And it was critical because, look, I think Hackett would have been fired if they lost yesterday. They asked CEO Greg Penner late last week, I think it was Mike Kliss of Nine News in Denver, basically, you know, is he is he safe for the whole season? And Penner could have said yes, or that's a stupid question. Why are you asking me that? And he said, hey, it's a week-to-week business. Not even year-to-year. It's a week-to-week business. I think he was out if they lost. Uh, I'm still not 100% certain that they're not going to fire him. I'm not saying they will, but we just don't know how these Walmart Titans are going to run an NFL team. Because it's not like the Broncos came out and scored 50 yesterday. They barely beat a crappy team. Yeah. I, I don't know what big-picture optimism you could draw from that, Miles. Oh, I, I certainly don't. And, and Mike, you know, I'm, I'm just getting in my ear. Uh, the Walmart people just made enough money to buy out Nathaniel Hackett's contract yeah. in the time that you were speaking. So I think that uh, if they want to do that, they can do that. That's and still look, my bit. Uh, uh, I know. I'm sorry. No, I'm not really sorry. I think it's funny. Um, so look, the Jaguars are bad. They're worse than I thought. I feel like an idiot for saying that they were going to win the AFC South, but you can't underestimate what this win means for the Broncos. And also with, for Russell Wilson, because he was playing within the offense, really, I think for the first time all year, it was like, Oh, you mean this guy can actually make the right reads and throw from the pocket as he is supposed to. Oh my gosh, I I can't believe what I'm seeing. And you know, when he's in the fourth quarter and he's making this dimer right here, like that's the kind of thing that we would see from Russell Wilson from, you know, like 2012 to 2018, 2019. These are not the things that we've been seeing lately from Russell Wilson. So maybe things are gonna start to get a little bit better. I don't know if they will when they're not facing a team that is as bad as the Jacksonville Jaguars. And we we were talking earlier about that 2021 quarterback class. I am so disappointed in Trevor Lawrence because he just made some horrible decisions yesterday. I mean, absolutely awful. But when you're the Broncos, you get a win like this, that can maybe at least carry you for a little bit. You have some better vibes at least going into the bye. Bye week, and then they're at the Titans. They still have the Raiders again. They play the Ravens. They still have the Chiefs twice. They go to the Rams. Uh, That's a Christmas game, by the way. We still have multiple standalone Broncos games. Chiefs and Rams. Flex them out of of Sunday night football. I beg you. Patrick Mahomes. I mean, but but look, you're just boosting the possibility that they have something. 
Maybe they do. I'm not ready to sign on to it. Although the one thing I've noticed, we saw two wins that came under circumstances where they had a drive where Russell Wilson just didn't think, just had to go. Just go. Maybe maybe they need to get that mindset. Don't think so much. Just go play. We got to take a break. We'll give you our abbreviated Monday night preview. Browns Bengals when PFT Live concludes right after this. Uh, there we go. <laughs> oh my gosh! I need a haircut. Um, there, there's Marty in his vest, Miles. That's your that's your Halloween oh. costume. You just need a different okay, color yeah. of it. It's uh, not the, yes. the, the the blue, but you need the whatever that is. Kind of a orangish red. I don't know. There's got to be a my, crayon what that I color. Have? Is it burnt sienna? I don't know. Uh, brown. It's kind of Browns colors. The Browns. Do they win tonight? Since the Bengals don't have Jamar Chase. Uh, maybe the Browns have played, uh, Joe Burrow and the Bengals very, very well. Joe Burrow has not beaten the Browns yet. So maybe, uh, this is the night, but, uh, I'll pick the Browns 20 to 17. I've already picked the Bengals four days ago, even before I knew about Jamar Chase's injury. They still have T Higgins. They still have Tyler Boyd. They still have Joe Mixon primetime game. And the pressure's on the Bengals because we saw the Ravens win in primetime on Thursday night. They need to keep pace. They're starting to rise. And the Browns limping into their bye week. I don't think it's going to matter by the time Deshaun Watson comes back. It could be over by then. It is over right now. Thanks for some of your time. Have a great day. Happy Halloween. Be safe if you're trick-or-treating. See you tomorrow morning. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.